Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike Jones. I'm the lead pastor here. I get that awesome privilege. You guys doing well? Very good. If you want to, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to be there in just a few moments. And while you're getting there, let me refresh you on this new series that we're in. Uh, It's called Overcome. How do you secure and sustain an abundant life? And so we, last week, Mark Thompson started us out in this uh, series telling us that we overcome when we look beyond our doubts to see that God is with us. And he, he just laid out in the story of Joshua how Joshua had come to that, that Jordan River before. He had been there before and had to turn back and spent 40 years in the wilderness. And so Joshua had doubts on whether or not they were going to actually cross this river and start securing and Uh, that abundant life that God had prepared. And so uh, not only that, but he had some mighty big shoes to fill with Moses being gone and stepping into that leadership role. So he doubted his own ability, his his lack of experience in that type of role. But God told him over and over, listen, be strong, be courageous. I am with you. And so we see from Joshua's story that overcoming begins with looking beyond our doubts, whether it be doubts about us or doubts about others, to see that God is with us. And when God is with us, who can be against us, right? Amen. And so I continue uh, today in that series with the idea that we overcome. We overcome when we look beyond our sinful past to see that God can save anyone who wants to be saved. Not only does he save us, but he makes us something special. And so we're going to pick up just after where Mark left off uh, last week, looking in Joshua chapter 2 in the story of Rahab. Now, before we get there, before we get into Rahab's story, uh, I, I just started thinking a little bit about the past, about our past and people's past in general and, and mistakes that we made. And I, one of the things that came to my mind, just being a sports guy, was what are some of the most significant sports blunders that have ever been uh, experienced, right? And so I started doing some research and one really stuck out to me. Um, it's being baseball season. Is anybody else a fan of baseball? I love baseball. And so I, I found one that, that stuck out to me. Um, about a man named Bill Buckner. Does anybody know that name? Bill Buckner. He, um, he, he was quite a baseball player, actually. Um, he, by the t- at this time of the story, 1986, he had amassed about 2,700 hits, which is, which is quite a few. He was a first baseman for the Boston Red Sox, and they are in the World Series against the New York Mets. They are up three games to two, and they're up in that game six. They're, they're, oh, they were tied, rather. They were tied in that game. Bottom of the ninth inning, Bill Buckner's on first base. Mookie Wilson, make sure I got that name. Yep, Mookie Wilson, he comes up to bat and hits a ground ball right down the first baseline. Well, Bill was playing off the bag quite a bit. He's playing deeper than he normally would. And so he rushed in to get the ball because Mookie was really fast. And he doubted if he was even going to be able to get the ball and also tag him out or get to the base. And in, in the rush to get to the ball, 
He didn't put his glove down far enough, and it went right between his legs into right field, allowing uh, the guy from second base to score. The Mets win game six, series tied 3-3, okay? And Bill Buckner's place in baseball lore was sealed. It was further sealed when the Mets went on to win game seven. And, and, you know, if you're a Red Sox fan, that was awful because it was almost another 20 years before they won the World Series. And in between those two World Series was, what, 90 years? Okay, so honestly, I'm not a Red Sox fan, so I don't feel too sorry for them. But it was a bad day for Boston people. Let's take a look at this, at Bill Buckner's situation Behind the bag, it gets to Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. How many of you remember that play? Any baseball fans? Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dwayne. So as I thought about Bill Buckner, I thought, you know, at what point, because I, I'm sure he, he felt really bad about this, costing his team that game, and um, I thought, at what point did Bill Buckner move past that mistake and, and realize and go, you know, I was actually a pretty decent professional baseball player. At what point did he move on? Uh, and I, from other videos with him and Mookie, uh, later on, they did some commercials together. You can tell that he's moved past and he's taken it, he's taken it pretty well. Okay, but as a sports fan, I started thinking about my own life. Like, when did I make some serious mistakes? And one of the first ones that came to my mind as far as my sports history goes is when I was in high school, uh, we were in a really tough game. And I had got, drove to the lane and I would gotten fouled. And so I was going to the free throw line for some very important free throws. Well, if you know anything about a high school basketball court is it has lines painted on it everywhere. Okay, there's other sports that play in there, in that room. And I was so involved in the game that I, uh, I stepped to the wrong line. I think I was on the, uh, see where the free throw line is? I was on the line just in front of it. And so I dribbled, I took my free throws. I think I even made the free throw, but the ref blew the whistle and discounted it. And I was not able to take the rest of my free throws. And that was really <laughs> embarrassing. And I looked over at my coach and all he could do was shake his head like, what are you thinking, you know? And so I was embarrassed. I felt bad. I, you know, I cost my team a couple important points. And, and so at what point did I move on and go, you know, I really am a pretty good basketball player, even if I took a couple free throws from the, the wrong line. How many of you can relate to stories like that where maybe you just had a, a blunder or something? Good to know that I'm not alone in that. So when I think about not just sports mistakes, but just mistakes in general, uh, in my life, um, I look back and I go, you know what, I've done some really dumb things. Really dumb things. Not necessarily sinful, but just incredibly immature things. And you know, there, when I think about those things, I, I start feeling again those, those negative feelings. I just feel, oh my goodness, I feel ashamed, you know, and I'm just thinking about them. I'm not even talking about them, you know, or I feel that, that sense of embarrassment again. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You start reliving those moments and you're like, I just can't believe I did that. You know, I, what was I thinking, you know? And so when we look at just immature things in that light, how much more 
Do when we look at our sinful past, do we find ourselves being hindered from moving forward in our walk with God? We look back on something incredibly sinful that we've done and, we, and we're like, what was I thinking? And we start feeling those sh- that shame and that disappointment and all that guilt all over again. And so we go through life like this, with one eye on our sinful past, trying to walk forward with God. And if you know anything about walking around like this, you're bound to walk into something once in a while, right? And looking back actually greatly hinders you from going forward. I actually have kind of a humorous story about this, talking about embarrassing moments. Um, I was about 21 or 22, and I just, just met my wife. I want to really emphasize that. I just met my wife, just a couple weeks of dating her, and I was still struggling with some SGS. Do you know what SGS is? Single guy syndrome, you know? And um, I was in a salon, in my aunt's salon, where I was getting my, my hair done, and there was this beautiful young lady sitting at the desk. And I, I didn't notice her at first, but as I was walking out, she caught my eye, and then she caught my other eye, and I just started walking like this, straight into a product shelf. I, I bumped into that. Well, who put that there? I tried to like blow it off, you know what I mean, and not embarrass myself. Um, everybody was kind of like, what in the world is he doing? I, I, felt, I felt really bad about that. So I, had to, I went to Jamie and said, Jamie, I, I've got to tell you something. I'm very sorry. <laughs> and uh, that still comes up once in a while when I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> You've never walked into a wall for me. Um, anyways, when you walk around with one eye behind you, or both eyes in my case, you're going to end up bumping into something. You're not going to move forward very well, right? And, and the same thing is true with our sinful past. It can really hinder us. It can keep us from overcoming. And when we think about those things, we start feeling those, those embarrassing or shameful feelings all over you know, fortunately, we are not the first per- people who've had to overcome a sinful past. Today, we're going to learn about a woman named Rahab. Rahab was an overcomer. Rahab overcame by looking beyond her sinful past to see that God would save anyone who wanted to be saved. And in the end, Rahab escaped an immoral, desperate life and became a thriving wife and mother as well as a direct descendant of Jesus Christ. So let's consider her story. And as we do, would you stand with me this morning? Let's look in Joshua chapter 2. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we have several for you. Just raise a hand and one of our ushers will get you one. If you don't have one of your own, just consider it a gift from Cornerstone Church. So um, Rahab's story spans several verses, about a chapter and a smidge. Okay, but so we're not going to read all of the verses, just... Um, select verses to get a very concise uh, version of her story. So let's start in verse 1, and then we'll jump to 8 and 9. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around, the, around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there for the night. Go to 8 and 9. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. Go to 12 through 14. Now swear to me 
by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Go to 18. When we came into the land, when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down, and all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, Rahab replied, and sent, she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Go to verse, uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6. And let's go to verse 24, please. Then the Israelites burned down the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Thanks for reading with me. You can be seated. Let's go back to chapter 2. So we're going to break our our study this morning of Rahab into to two parts, separated by a little conversation break. The first part, we're just going to answer some basic questions about Rahab. Like, who was she? What did she do? And what, how did she overcome? So, first of all, who was she? If you look at verse 1, you find a lot of information there. Chapter 2, verse 1, look back at that. You find that she was a woman who lived in Jericho. You find that she was a prostitute. You find that she had a house that was part of the city wall. Okay? Um, if you go to verse 13, you find that she had a father, a mother, brothers, sisters, and probably nieces and nephews and some other relatives in Jericho as well. Now, as I started thinking about Rahab and just who she was and where she lived, it stuck out to me that she had a house. Okay? That she had a house in in that coupled with the fact that no husband is mentioned, it makes me think that she was the head of her household, okay? And so as the head of her household, she had to have some means of providing for herself. And so I have to wonder if the only way for her to provide for herself was through prostitution. I don't know if that's the case. I'm just wondering. And so it led me to think, you know, how many people get caught up in a self-destructive lifestyle because they don't know of any other way or they don't have any other recourse at that moment, at least from their perspective. And they just do what they need to do in order to survive. I kind of have a feeling that Rahab was in that situation. I found a quote I found uh, that was interesting. and It said, all I'm trying to do, excuse me, to survive it is often necessary to fight And to fight, you have to dirty yourself sometimes. And so I think that Rahab, she was in a fight. Every day, it was a struggle to just have food, to just get the basic necessities of life together. I don't really think that she liked being a prostitute. I really don't. Because when an opportunity came for her to get out of that lifestyle, she was on it. In fact, she suggested it. Take a look. What did she do? 
She protected the two Israelite spies from the king's soldiers. She hid them on a roof, and when the soldiers came, she sent them on a wild goose chase to buy those uh, Israelite spies some time. So how did she overcome? Coming back to that idea of that she, I don't think she really liked being a prostitute. She was looking for an opportunity to get out. Look in verse, uh, verses 11 through 14 and then again in 21. Okay? How did she escape that self-destructive, sinful lifestyle that she had in Jericho? She, well, in verse 11, it's, we see her expressing her faith. She expressed her faith in the God of Israel. Verse, verses 12 through 13, she requests salvation. The spies didn't offer it to her. She requested it. She brought it up. She was like trying to make a deal. Hey, I protected you. Now, you in turn, you protect me. In verse 21, we see her holding on to that salvation that was offered to her. And in the end, uh, chapter 6, verse 25, tells us that she was able to enjoy the abundant life that God had prepared for his people because she responded in this way. Rahab was an overcomer. She was able to escape that sinful past. She was able to secure and sustain an abundant life because she looked past it. She looked past who she was. She looked past who she was to see that the God, the God of Israel that she had never met but only heard of, would save anyone, anyone who wanted to be saved. And as a result, she was able to move on and we read that she lived among the Israelites after that point on. And so this is who Rahab is. This is what she did. This is how she overcame. And we're going to look more about, uh, into her story in just a few moments. But first I want to do something. I want to do something called a think, pair, share. And it's exactly like it sounds. So I want you to think, first of all, about an embarrassing story. Maybe something humorous, like walking into a display cabinet because you had SGS. Okay? Some sort of embarrassing story. And I want you to pair up with somebody around you, maybe not somebody necessarily right next to you, but somebody over there or over there across the aisle, okay? And I want you to just take a minute and share your story, like literally one minute each, okay? Okay, so stand up on your feet. Think about your story. Find somebody to share it with. Go. Okay, let wrap up your stories here in about 15 seconds. 15 seconds. About 10 seconds. All right, start making your way back to your seats. Fantastic. Boy, I heard some, a couple really good stories. A couple good stories here. One, uh, Ed was telling me, can I share this? Okay. Ed, was t- Ed coached uh, track in Grand, Grand Blank, Michigan, which is near Lansing, right there in the center of the state. And he had a hockey goalie, correct? Freshman guy come out for track. And man, he, he was tall, big guy. He took nat- uh, hurdles naturally, just could right over top of him, right? Well, he was leading the race. He was doing great. Well, towards the end of the race, he accidentally knocked one down. So he went back and put it up. (laughs) And at that point, everybody passed him. 
That's a great, great story. Uh, Carrie? Carrie told me a story. She's softball player in high school. Okay, so she was up against very, like, a nemesis pitcher. She was at bat, and it was uh, and almost the end of the game, you said, right? Ninth, how many, I don't know how many innings, seven? Seven innings, right? Two outs, she comes up to bat. She gets a hit, and she's so elated that she hit off her nemesis. She's jogging down the first baseline, pumping her fist, not paying attention, and she got thrown out from right field thrown out at first from the outfield because she wasn't sprinting and that was the end of the game she said she said oh that's a good story (laughs) I love it I love it so what have we learned so far what we've learned is that our past especially our simple past can can really hinder us when we're trying to move forward to secure and sustain this abundant life that God has prepared. If we got one or both eyes looking backwards, we're going to have a very hard time moving forward. And when I mean abundant life, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about becoming all that God has called you to be. You know, you're, you're reaching your potential. Uh, you have great relationships or growing relationships. I'm talking about having your finances established. I'm talking about making great memories, having far, far more great memories than bad memories and very, very few regrets. That's the type of abundant life that uh, I'm mentioning here. And this is the type of life that Rahab wanted. She didn't want to be a prostitute anymore. She didn't want to be struggling like she was struggling. Every day was a fight. Every day to over, just, trying to, just trying to make it, put something in her, in her belly. So I want to look at uh, what I believe to be the most significant detail in Rahab's story. If it's, found, it's found in Joshua 2.21. Would you look at that verse with me, please? Joshua 2.21. says, uh, I accept your terms, Rahab replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. I think that scarlet line, as I call it in another translation, is a very significant detail for this reason. That scarlet line was a visible rep- representation of the salvation that she had been promised by the spies. As long as it hung in the window, she had a guarantee that she would be saved. Now, I, I imagine in the days that she waited for the Israelites to come and conquer Jericho, that people would come into her house, maybe even some of her relatives, and, and they would see that rope hanging out the window and be like, whoa, whoa. I mean, she forgot. And they would go over there and they would try to take the rope on just, just in an effort to tidy up, just in an effort to kind of help her out. And out of the corner of her eye, I could just see Rahab catching what they were doing and rushing over and say, oh, no, no, leave the rope alone. Seriously, don't touch it. You know, I, I need it there. I could just see her just kind of guarding it and making sure that nobody moved it from its place. And not only did she guard that rope, but she shared the reason for that rope with those who maybe even tried to move it. It's like, let me tell you about that rope. As long as that rope is there, anybody who's in my house will be saved when the Israelites come. And so, you want to get in on this? You want to be in my house? You got to, you, you know, she was just kind of sharing the reason for it as well. And so, did you know that we find ourselves in a very similar position that Rahab did? We live in a sinful and selfish society that is destined for destruction. But 
how we are not without hope. Just as Rahab was not without hope, we too have a scarlet line that gives us the hope of salvation. Jesus' blood is our scarlet line. It is the source of our salvation. It's the visible representation of the salvation that God promises to all who express faith in him. Now, I want to take just a, a, a second, probably about 120 seconds here, two, three minutes, to just look at something, okay? Look at something with me. This is from Hebrews, because I want to talk to you about this source of salvation and how the source of salvation that Rahab experienced, the, the salvation Rahab was offered at that time, is different than the salvation we are offered today. Okay, so just hang with me for a second. The author of Hebrews, and I'm in Hebrews 9 and 10. If you want to just skim up there real quick, put your finger in Joshua 2, go up to Hebrews 9 and 10, and I'm going to reference a few verses kind of quick there. So the author of Hebrews tells us that God made two agreements with mankind, two agreements called covenants. Now, living in Parker, we are very uh, aware of the term covenant because of the prevalence of HOAs, okay? And these agreements that God made, they were ratified by blood. And our, fortunately, our HOA agreements are not ratified by blood, it, uh, although living in some of the stricter ones, it sure feels like it sometimes, don't it? <laughs> um, so these, God made two agreements, both ratified with blood. The first covenant or the first agreement God made with mankind was called the law. Okay, and you, if you're reading through the Bible with me this year, you just got out of that portion of Scripture in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, reading about all the exacting terms. And if you walk away with anything from that section of Scripture, besides it becoming very tedious, you also see that it's very, it was very messy to have this good relationship, to maintain a good relationship with God back then was really, really messy. It involved a lot of blood. It seems like, it seemed like every little thing you did to breach that relationship with God required the sacrifice of some animal. And the larger the, and, and more uh, impactful the sin, the more animals needed to die in, 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 in your place, really. It was very messy and very tedious. I don't know how anybody could even keep it all in mind, which is probably why they had to write it down in such great detail because for the ordinary person to try to maintain a right relationship with God was just incredibly burdensome. And worse yet, not only was it tedious and messy, but the blood of those animals, Hebrews 10, 4 tells us that it, the blood of bulls and goats was not, is, doesn't take away the guilt that we feel as a result of breaching our relationship with God. And yet, at the time, this was the source of salvation that God offered to people, people like Rahab. And Rahab was more, more than willing to accept it, more than willing, given this, the destruction that she had seen uh, God brought to the, the people on the eastern side of the Jordan River. She was eager and very willing to take whatever salvation God offered. And so she expressed faith. And she joined the Israelites in making these sacrifices year after year. Well, little did she know that those sacrifices and her scarlet line 
was a foreshadowing. God was foreshadowing. He was showing in the future the new, better source of salvation that he was going to offer to people. We read that in Hebrews 10.1. Well, what was that source of salvation? The answer is found in the second covenant, in the second agreement that God made with mankind. And it is a lot better and a lot different than the first covenant. Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus Christ nailed all those rules and all those agreements to the cross. And now we don't necessarily have to live under all of those things. He made it much simpler and much cleaner to maintain, to start and maintain a good relationship with Jesus or with God the Father. Well, for all the differences that the two covenants have, they have one thing in common. You know what that one thing is? Is that they were ratified with blood. But the second covenant was not ratified with the blood of bulls and goats. It was ratified, it was put into action with the blood of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. And now anybody who expresses faith that Jesus' blood not only gives me forgiveness for my sins, but he absolutely washes away all the guilt that I feel as a result of those sins, anybody who has that faith can start walking with God. No longer do we have to look back. The people under that first agreement, they were constantly walking forward with God with one eye on their past because the blood of bulls and goats never could take away the guilt. They were forgiven, but they, they still felt bad about that. But the Hebrews is telling us that that is not the case anymore. How many of you are thankful for that? That when you come to God and say, God, I am really sorry. I was dumb. I can't believe I did that. Please forgive me. Before the words are out of our mouth, he has forgiven us. He's not angry with us anymore. It's done. It's in the past. There's a popular Christian song, at least it was popular a couple years back. He says, uh, Josh Wilson says, your past is in the past. Box it up like a bunch of old photographs and put it away. It's gone. You don't have to look back anymore because if God doesn't think about it anymore, he, Psalm 112 tells us that he is taking taken our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. So far apart from us that he, it's out of God's mind. And if it's out of God's mind, then why in the world are we thinking about it? If God doesn't think about our past, why do we go back sometimes and go, oh man, look what I did. How tempting it would be for someone, especially in Rahab's case, to go back and think, Man, for a good part of my life, I was a prostitute. I was a pr- and then all right all over again, she start would start feeling that shame and that negative thing, uh, those negative feelings, and, and God would say, "That's done. You have a new start, a new story. What are you talking about? I don't remember that. How many of you thankful God doesn't remember your sinful past? And so, if He doesn't remember it, then why in the world are you?" Why are you remembering it? This is our source of salvation. Jesus' blood is our scarlet line. And when the, world, when the walls of this world come tumbling down, and believe me, one day they will, they're already crumbling. Look around us. The foundations of our society are, are crumbling. Crumbling. Well, the walls will come down. And when they do, only the people holding on 
to faith in Christ, holding on to that scarlet line, are going to make it through. Not only in the future, but in the present. In the present, we can overcome like Rahab did when we, hold, when we look beyond our sinful past to see that God saves anyone who wants to be saved and takes hold of that scarlet line. How many of you are glad you've expressed faith in Christ today? How many of you are holding on to that scarlet line? Amen, Amen to the bitter end. Amen. So what about you? A couple questions here. There's two types of us here today. Those who have ex- not expressed faith in Christ yet, those who have. If you're here and you've not expressed faith in Christ, if, and I would welcome an opportunity to sit down with you, answer any questions you may have about Jesus and, and just talk it out with you. Just say, see me after the service. We'll set up a time to do that. But if there's anything that you can take away right now from Rahab's story, it's that God will save anyone who wants to be saved. And if you want to secure and sustain that abundant life I'm describing, it starts with that right relationship with God. And getting on that right relationship with God requires you to look beyond your sinful past and just start moving forward. I know some of you have made some huge life-altering mistakes. And you think that you'll never be able to overcome the guilt that you feel. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus' blood can wash away the guilt even from even the largest mistakes. I'm reminded of an, of an old hymn. I grew up, my dad was a worship leader uh, for a time at our church. He worked another job and just kind of helped out and did that. You know, he loved the hymns. There's a lot of good theology in the hymns. And one of the best ones says, what can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood of of Jesus. That's some good theology right there. And if you're here and you've already made Jesus the leader of your life, then I have a question, two, actually two questions for you. Are you responding to the source of your salvation like Rahab did? Think back, how did Rahab, what did Rahab do for that line? How did she respond to that, that scarlet line? Well, one, she guarded it, right? It was valuable to her. And so I had to think, you know what? Do you pause to thank Jesus for making your relationship with God simpler and cleaner than it used to be? Have you, do you ever pause to just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, taking the punishment for my sins, and now I don't have to mess with the law. I don't have to mess with that. God isn't angry with me anymore. I can just come to him, apologize, and just keep moving forward with him. It's awesome, the fresh start, the clean conscience that we have as a result of Jesus' sacrifice. I, I read a quote. Let me share it with you really quick. It says, isn't it nice to think that tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes in it yet? Every day walking with Christ is that new, fresh start. I haven't made any, I, haven't, I got up. I haven't made any mistakes yet. And, and God is with me walking forward. Second thing is this. Are you sharing the source of your salvation with those in your sphere of influence like Rahab did? Now, let me preface this because when we bring up evangelism, at least in my experience, it seems like whenever evangelism is brought up, it's always doled out with a measure of guilt. And I just, I don't ever want to do that. I don't think that that's right. And I I think that um, 
it's doled out with a measure of guilt as if to say, you have to witness and share your faith with everyone you meet, everywhere you go, at all times, like it, as if it should be the very first thing on the tip of your tongue. Now, if you feel compelled to do that, then, then great. More power to you. But I, I honestly think that that's an unrealistic expectation for, more pe- for, for most people. In fact, when we look at Jesus' own evangelistic ministry, we see over and over again him just consistently sharing God's love and the good news with everybody, that, with uh, every, every opportunity he could. As it came up naturally in his life, okay, we forget that for the first 30 years of his life, he was just a guy, right? Working his job, taking care of his family. And there's a lot to be said about that. And I'm sure as he went through his job, went through just regular life, he would take whatever opportunities were afforded to him to share uh, about God's love, about his heavenly father. And I think um, we can do the same. I think that's a realistic expectation that as it comes up, let's just be ready to share, okay? So Rahab, she did the same thing. Who did she share the source of her salvation with? We read it a couple times. It says with her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, and her relatives, those within her circle of influence. And so for us today, I think, you know, that's a good place to start. We don't have to go out and evangelize all of Parker. How about just those that we interact with on a regular basis? When we can, as it comes up. So I ask you today to think about who needs to hear that good news? Who's struggling right now? That's often a really good time to share our faith is when people are just kind of struggling. They got the question and they need an answer. We have that answer. So when you and I take hold of that scarlet line, when we ex- uh, express faith in Christ, God doesn't just save us, but he makes something special out of us. Let me show you how this is true. Will you turn to Matthew chapter 1 with me? Go to Matthew chapter 1, and we're wrapping up here. Look at Matthew chapter 1. How many of you are tracking with me today? Give me a thumbs up if you are. Tracking with me? Good. Okay, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's, let's look at this real quick. It says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Ram was the father of Abinadab. I'm in verse 4. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Skip all the way down to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so we see that when God saves us, that is just the beginning. That is just the beginning. So for Rahab, salvation was just the beginning. It was not the end because we read later on that she became the uh, great, great, great grandma of King David and later on a direct descendant of Jesus Christ. Abraham Lincoln once said, my greatest concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. Rahab was a prostitute with the emphasis on was. 
She had made some huge mistakes in her life, but she was not content with her failure. And when God offered her a way out of that life, she took it. She jumped on that right away. And God's not only spared her from the destruction of Jericho, but he changed her life fundamentally. We read here that she ended up marrying a man named Salmon and, and, and became a, a thriving wife and mother and just later on became a, a great, great, great grandma to King David. And not only that, but a descendant of Jesus Christ. And so we see it was only the beginning for her. And the same is true for us today. When we take hold of that scarlet blood of Christ and we express our faith in him, That moment is only the beginning. And whatever we were in our sinful past is ancient history. Ancient history. God gives us a new story. He makes us part of his family. And he just starts bringing us out. Bringing us into that wonderful, wonderful life that he's prepared for us. He makes something special out of us. How many of you are glad God made something special out of you today? Amen. Where would you be if it were not for Christ? Where would you be? I shudder to think of where I would be. Without Christ, Christ has made you and I something special, just like he did for Rahab. Rahab was able to secure and sustain the abundant life that God had promised because she looked beyond her sinful past to see that God would save anyone who wanted to be saved. And the same is true for us today. The only question is, is will we follow her example? Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you today in Jesus' name and we are so thankful. We just pause even right now and just say thank you for sending Jesus to make things, to make our relationship with you a whole lot simpler, a whole lot cleaner. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone listening to my voice today who's not expressed faith in you, who's not walking with you today, or I just pray that you would just begin to speak to their heart, whether they're here or listening to the podcast. I just pray that you begin to move in their heart right now. Draw them unto yourself, God. Draw them unto yourself. Lord, I pray for individuals who are here today. They're trying to walk forward with you. They're trying to walk forward into that abundant life that you prepared, but they've got one eye or both eyes looking back at their mistakes. God, you stood before our failure. You carried our shame on the cross, and so we just stop for a moment and say thank you for that. Help them realize that, God. Their past is ancient history. Help them to move their focus forward to see that you're working in their lives in Jesus' name. Father, I pray a blessing over every person here today. I pray that let this week be a week of overcoming. Let this be a week of overcoming. Lord, whatever would hinder us, whatever sins would so easily beset us, Lord God, whatever uh, relationships would try to set us back, whatever we need to break free of in order to take hold of that abundant life you have, God, I pray let this week be the week that we do so. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let this week be the week of breakthrough, God. We thank you for that, Lord. 
And I pray a blessing upon every person as they go home today. Let this afternoon be a, an afternoon of rest and relaxation. Let it be an afternoon of peace. We thank you so much for bringing us here and letting us experience your presence and hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming to Cornerstone Church. If you uh, need special prayer today, I'm going to remain at the altar for a few minutes. I'll be here to pray with you. Other than that, why don't you shake three hands, three people's hands on your way out, okay? Tell somebody you're glad to see them. listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.